Hello and welcome to another episode of the Engaged Podcast. I'm Jamie. I'm Simon. And today we are doing our annual Absent Friends episode of, well, 2022. Yes, quite a busy year for it, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and fortunately, Jamie, it was Jamie's year this year. Yeah. And I've, I've got lists in front of me because like, every year I keep track. Yeah. And I was saying to Jamie literally a few minutes ago, wasn't I? I have a post it note. And usually I fill up like half of one side and a little bit of the second row, but I've completely filled two rows this year. Yeah. And it's actually probably going to end up on the other side of it because we recently lost um, Jennifer Allison's dad, who was also in I think Voyager. Uh, work was it workforce? workforce yeah. yeah, workforce. Yeah. So he's had a really tricky year, and then it's. Assist facing because we've gone back to four instead of six. Yeah. I think of six that would have been manageable. Yeah, I mean, we we decided to kind of change it because we wanted that to. That was getting out of hand with six. It was like we've got tons of research this year. Yeah, and um, which I've got to take the blame for, but <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. But the thing is, as well, is that if you have four names, you can focus more on them. I think as well. But we also want to put a stipulation that this year, instead of having two actors or actresses and then two production, it's gone, as the phrase I'm used, uh, they were on top heavy. We've, um, we've gone with three of... You, you went for it. I, I did. I, I wouldn't have no, You wouldn't it. have done it, but I went for three actors and actresses and then we took one production. Um, the reason I decided to do that was because I said some really noticeable, really kind of more kind of well-known names have passed away. And I've kind of felt, I mean, I kind of felt like I kind of had to include a couple of them. So it's kind of for this year, I've kind of gone. And as you kind of said to me, with our kind of guidelines we have for this kind of thing, it's like, well, it's our podcast, so we can tweak I it. Do. We need I do. I just have a very strict line on yeah. absent friends that um, I wouldn't have crossed. There's so, well, other rules that we, unstipulated rules that we have for podcasting. Okay. Well, I didn't, you didn't I say that. <laughs> Okay, fine, fair but enough. I wouldn't have done it in this case. But but we've we've got our own independent rules of each other that I think we we're flexible. I think that's what we kind of say. I left Jamie to it. Yeah, and I've gone so, along with it. Um, but you know, but when I do it, when I do it in twenty twenty four, I will. You know, it'll be two list. As I said at the beginning, this is a bit of a unusual year. Mm. Usually, we have a a pool of names, but this year. It's a lot more, and mm. an awful lot of big hitting names. So yeah. you know, there's a lot of names in here that we could have been on this list that aren't. Yeah. So I said to Jamie earlier, like Greg Jean, oh, that's a big name in model making and kind of production. Mm. There's Louise Fletcher, that's a big name that's not in this list that could well have been. Yeah. And then you've got you know kind of other names, Sally Ken- Kenneman. Do you want to list some more off? Because there's um, loads on there. But yeah, it's, uh, Marsha Hunt. Is that Marva Hicks or Hinks? One above Louise Fletcher. Hicks. Hicks. Um, yeah, uh, Mitchell Ryan, Laurel Goodwin, Douglas Trumbull. So, yeah, I mean... Like I said, it's always tricky. I'm like, with, with these names, including like Louise Fletcher, I'm... 
I'm sure we'll include. Uh, we'll, say the, we'll say the usual phrase. We're just tipping the, the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg. Yeah. We really are. So we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll might include Louis Fletcher in a future one. Whether I don't, I know, don't Jeremy. know. I don't, we don't know, know. because I'd never again. It's we don't know, but you know we. I have no plans for next year because that's, that's next year. Oh yeah, we never decide now. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's... No, we we have got names that we'd, I'd like to do. Mm-hmm. But that's still no given. No. So I think Louis, Louis Fletcher is on that list because it was kind of you were kind of oh, maybe maybe not. And then I yeah, I, I was of, I was kind of. Um, and then I sent said to you about Dorothy, didn't I? Yeah. Just be like that's just not a bad call. Sorry. Yeah. Because um, you know we wanted to do because I said if if I'd gone for said Louis Fletcher it would have been all well known ones, which is fine. But we well, wanted been all actors. Well, so I yeah. think it's a bit like. At least we've got one production up there, which is you know kind of not not what I'd want, but mm. it's better than nothing. Yeah, it's fine. And like I say, I, I'm to blame for the tons of research that we've got because I sent I sent an email to Jamie and went, here's the research I'm doing, and it kind yeah. of Jamie never got round to finding his, and it kind of this is what we ended up with. Yeah, I mean it's mainly David. I think it's but a, there's a reason why yeah. why I've chosen that because he had a busy career and it's here there and everywhere and my research uh, shows that because yeah. I, as, I sh- as I've showed in previous years I try and show everything that person's been involved with yeah because obviously Cause only certain if it does it's up to a point it's but, as you're saying oh yeah but it's, it's, it's it, but you need to show different facets yeah. of someone's life and, and, and another website's going to show does that and, yeah. and with David Warner there's an awful lot of theatre work in there and there's a few different websites in there that really covered because Mary Rafford just goes, oh, we did a thing. Yeah. Whereas they, at least with that, they clarified a bit and kind of went... Yeah, these, these different websites that we that we use sometimes that include, you know, they, they, they you know, they, they focus more on a spe- particular aspect of a actual production person's career. So with, like, as you said, with um, one of David Warner's ones, it was, like, more about his theatre work, where something like Memory Alpha... Yeah, it's mentioned, but it doesn't really go into. It one, yeah, one of them's the Royal Shakespeare Company. That's the I one, think. yeah, yeah. And I think it might be yeah. BFI in there as well. I think I can't quite remember. But yeah. yeah, I chose quite a array of topics. Well, put it this way: with the notes, I mean, I've got twenty-six pages of notes. David Warner covers about Is a over half of that. Of it, yeah, because literally about almost fifteen pages worth for mine. Again, I just keep going for research and just keep digging it out. <laughs> So yeah, but, but yeah, the, with Dave Warner, Dave Warner's an interesting case because there's a bit. There's we were talking before we got going, didn't we? Mm. And there's a there's a bit of a note. If you miss it, it makes you sit there and go, "Huh? Why is that a thing? Why did that happen?" But mm. we'll get into later. Yeah, but, but I think we both caught. And mm. for my research, it's on the world's smallest um, typeface. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you when we get to it, and you'll go, "That's a wonder you saw that, Jesse." But shall we start, Jamie? I think are yeah. we starting with David Warner. We are indeed starting with Mr. David Warner. Yes. So, um, did you want me to start off reading a bit? You go for it, Jamie. Yeah. So this is for this is from uh, Memory Alpha. Um, David Hattersley Warner, uh, born nine, 29th of July nineteen forty one, and passed away twenty fourth of July um, two thousand twenty two. He was age eighty. Was an English actor who played the part of. Uh, St. John Talbot in Star Trek Fire the Final Frontier. In 1991, he played Gorkin in Star Trek VI. Uh, and the following year, he played, portrayed Gold Madrid in the TNG six season episodes, Chain of Commands, Parts 1 and 2. 
and he also reprised the role of Gorkin for the video game Star Trek Klingon Academy. Um, this is the thing I found really interesting I didn't actually know. Warner took over the role of Madrid on three days notice and though he previously appeared in Final Frontier Undiscovered Country, he knew nothing about the Cardassians from TNG. As he recalled in a tw uh, 2011 interview, I took over on three days notice. It was another makeup job. It was with Pat Stewart, who's an old colleague. It was great to be a part of that. I thought, oh, I've done two of the others, the old classic ones, and here I am in, in TNG. I'll go for it. So I wasn't aware of it, of the Cardassians. I didn't know, didn't know about their history at all, except, of course, they weren't very nice. Due to the short time in which he had to prepare, Warner also did not have enough time to memorise his lines. As such, they were written down on cue cards, as he commented. There was too much techno babble and dialogue that doesn't come naturally to me. So they wrote everything up. I don't mind people knowing this. Every line I said, I actually was reading it over Patrick's shoulder. They put it down there for me to do it. Um, and it also says it's another really interesting tidbit. Warner was also approached by the DS9 production staff for the role of Akarum... Akarim Lan in a session. Iris Stephen Burke commented, Personally, I wanted David Warner as Akarim. He wanted to do it, but his wife talked, to him out, talked him out of it because he was on vacation and she didn't want him to work. To this day, I still wish he'd been in it. Yeah. So, you know, I, just just from that, from his, his work he's done on Star Trek, I mean, the fact that he managed to pull the performance he did in, said, three days, I mean, that's just remarkable. Because you, you know, watching watching him in Chain of Command, you wouldn't think that would be the case. That he didn't have any prior knowledge about the Cardassians or anything like that. Or that he hadn't memorised his lines. So the fact that he had done that in such a short space of time, I think is incredible. And that in particular, about DS9, I mean, that that's a shame. But, you know, I mean, I think, because again, I think he would have been incredible in that. But, you know... Is what it is. I could certainly understand his 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 wife's point of view. You know, they're on vacation. You know, <laughs> um, so yeah. I mean, that's just you know, throughout these notes, you know, he's a very versatile actor. He's played. I said he's done. I said he's done a lot of TV work. He's done. He's done films, and he's obviously done stage work as well. Um, did you want to? Um, Right. I don't know quite where to go, Jamie, but yeah, he... Yeah. Um, There's so much to say all this research. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. Um, so I don't know what you're going to do, whether we want to talk life what? and career. Yeah, I mean... Life. Yeah, maybe we should maybe stop... Well, maybe maybe go a bit into his theatre work, because that's how he kind of started out anyway, wasn't it? Oh, I'd start with how he was born and everything. Yeah. That's what we usually do. And then we can uh, work into his... Other stuff. Uh, what notes is that? Uh, Wikipedia, yeah, should we do Wikipedia? Yeah, let's go with that. Uh, so, okay, Warner was born on 29th of July 1941 in Manchester, Lancashire, the son of Ada Doreen Hattersley and Herbert Simon Warner, a nursing proprietor. He was born out of wedlock and frequently taken to be brought up by each of his parents, eventually settling with his Russian Jewish father and his stepmother. And he graduated from RADA, which is obviously the Royal Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, Arts. before becoming a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company, the RSC it's part of the part of the part of the, the, the RSC. He earned a claim for his portrayal of the title role of Hamlet in nineteen sixty five, a revival of the role of the player king. 
Stuart stated that he enjoyed being on stage with Warner, whom he called his hero. Stuart and Warner later worked on TNG. Um, this really all gets complicated because there's tons of different things he's part of. Yeah. Uh, in the ninth, I'll put this and then we'll go back and structure it with what's more detail. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In the early 60s, Warner made the move from stage to film. Well, that's not what I'm on about. Make his, oh, never mind. Make his feature debut as hapless... Uh, in Tom Jones, which won the 1963 Academy Award for Best Picture. Uh, that's really not what I was thinking of. No, because I think you read from memory. I think you was thinking of <laughs> another note. So. Yeah, because we've got notes here for Wikipedia. This one after. Right, okay. Um... In 1963, David David was part of the legendary Wars of the Roses cycle, directed by Peter Hall in John Barton's adaptation, where he played King Henry VI. When the second history trilogy was added the following year, celebrated Shakespeare to centenary, David played Richard II, and the right in the spirit of a symbol, Moldy, one of Gloucester recruits in Henry V, Henry Henry the Fourth, Part Two. David's most iconic role for the RSC was as Hamlet in 1965, directed again by Peter Hall. Uh, a torture student is his long orange staff. David seemed the protagonist. Which bit, sorry, sorry. Um, Elizabeth, uh, oh, oh, they seemed that bit. Mm. David seemed the epitome. Thank you. Of 1960s youth, caught the radical spirit of a turbulent age. Uh, Gregory, who's Gregory Doran. Arti- uh, who's the RSC's artistic director? What that's that word? Uh, director uh, Emer- Emeritus. I'll go with that. Uh, said in Peter's 1960 film of Midsummer Night's Dream, David plays Slander. Um, after a very career in film and te- television, David returned to the company in 2007 to be part of Michael Boy's Histories, playing Sir John Falstaff. Isn't that someone you played? Um, it's from the play. It's not the character I played, but it's from the play I was in, The Merry Wives of Windsor. That was the main okay. character, yeah. He was yeah. a generous spirit, a kind man, and a huge talent. I might as well read all of this, Jamie. Yes, yeah. yeah, so what, what was it? What's it, what's it from? Is it from... Read the top, Jamie. Oh, RSC. Okay. Former RSC artistic director Michael Boyce said, Working with David on histories was a joy and an education. He seemed incapable of acting in bad faith. It was easy to t- trust his instinctive search for simplicity and clarity of thought. As his cunning false stuff padded his way through about the world, he had created in the first trilogy and quietly submitted made it his. Each time he shared the thoughts of Falstaff on honour, a thousand people in the courtyard theatre I witnessed a kind of gentle alchemy at work. We all leaned in, the auditorium shrank, and the bombastic old hypocrite spoke, simple truth showing us our own world in Hamlet's mirror. His leer was Stephen Pimlock, at Chester was a subtlest and most subtlest? Yeah, subtlest, yeah. The most moving I'd seen, and the reason I decided to persuade him back to Stratford. He was warm and funny and generous on his return to the company and gave us his generous gardener, gardener in Richard II to help their public 
and understudy runs. David always struck me as gracious, vulnerable and tired angel. His self-doubt seemed to keep his heart open and searching for honesty like proper artists does. All of us in in the histories feel lucky to have shared them with David. <coughs> I miss him terribly now. So that was, that was from RSC. I just thought that was quite fitting for all his um, RSC work. Yeah, I mean, I think... Should we, should we bring up the interesting thing you kind mm. of... Yeah, so... Did you find it or not? Because you sort of weren't quite sure if you had or not found it. I think I think I do vaguely remember seeing it in passing when I was reading my notes, but the thing we're alluding to here is, um, is that David Warner... David, he actually took a break from... Basically, he was off stage for about... A 30 three, years. 30 years, so three decades. And it's a briefly mentioned in there, but... Yeah, all this research, and it has one offhand mention which I find crazy yeah and you, I would because you just see this all the way through it's been like he took a break from th- from acting on stage for 30 years and you go well, why why, what why happened? was that yeah and I was going through my notes and it's a bit like just missed it and it's got the world's smallest typeface ever created you read that and you just go yeah. how on earth do you read that oh yeah <laughs> it's like half the size of everything else um so yeah, um, one of the drawbacks of having 228 sc- uh, screen credits is that a short Britchery can't hope to do justice to the scale and scope of the achievement. And that's before he before mention he has made of his in any theatrical triumphs. David Warner, who has died at the age of eight, produced memorable performances on stage, television, and film. Self felt uh, struggling this year. Um, Self effacingly. Epically. He called himself a letterbox actor because he did whatever script landed on his doormat mm. but improved everything he was in from Shakespeare to... Schlockers. Sh- Porn in the war between his feuding parents, the Manchester born Warner endured a... Per- uh, peripatetic. I'm having a hard year, aren't I? So I don't have, I'm not even sure what that... But I'm assuming it means... Difficult. Difficult childhood. It's a BFI. Yeah. <laughs> they just put difficult in and put <laughs> <laughs> just put fancy words in pseudonyms in yeah um, before finding his niche at RADA what was that Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts yeah. I'm impressed I remember that he made his mark as Henry VI in Royal Shakespeare Company's War of the Roses cycle in 1964 but it was his scarf wearing student prince in Peter Hall's staging of Hamlet that made his name as he encapsulated baby boomer delusion with his older generation um do you want to read the next bit, Jamie? Uh, well, occasionally, that bit. Um, no, this counter. Oh. Uh, his counter-cultural edginess led to Warner being recruited for Carrie... Whatever I was struggling with that. Raises. Uh, raises, yeah. Morgan, a suitable case for treatment in 1966, in which his proletarian artist hairs across London in a bid to dis- dissuade upper-class wife Vanessa Redgrave from divorcing him. The BAFTA-nominated turn led to a team in with Scylla Black in Hall's work, work is a four-letter word. This is where it hits, this is where it comes up. 68. Then came Sam uh, Peckinpah's invitation to play a wandering preacher in the Ballad of Cable Hogan in 1970, which delivered Warner from typecast in the prime press after a own balcony fall and about a stage fright that would last for three decades. There we go, that, that's all you get. You just yeah. hear the words, a Roman balcony fall. Hmm. And as it turned out, I did a bit of research and, it, and I landed on the Guardian website, mm. which I haven't got here. I did look it up briefly. And it turns out 
he broke both his feet in that fall, Oof. which might make you, like as you said earlier, might make you go off acting on stage for say thirty odd years. Yes. You did because you did, you look through his notes, you look through his history. He didn't return to what was it, two thousand one, two thousand and two. Yeah. So yeah, just a short thing, which just is Rome, Rome balcony fall. And he just, I would have thought that would be more like because say we've got memory alpha, we've got Wikipedia. BFI notes, Royal, I said the Royal, um, Shakespeare Company. Yeah, notes. So. And it's not in there. Let's say I found it in the BFI and I found it on the Guardian. That's mm. it. But out of the four or five documents we've got, research we've got, it's in one with yeah. a brief mention. Whereas I would have thought they would have more prominence because mm. kind of, this is why that's a thing rather than. I said, you know. Um, but yeah, so I mean, he said he's done a lot of work on stage, and obviously he kind of became quite known. Maybe we should finish up by talking about what um, him going back to theatre. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, then we can kind of put that on. Then we can move on to TV, film, and everything else. Cause he's done. As what was it? One of them said like two hundred and twenty. Um, Four credits, two hundred twenty-eight, and that just keeps going on and on. Because like I say, you look at was it Wikipedia, and that just goes on. But that's the downside of Wikipedia; they just go on with the credits. There we go. I've got a bit here. I think it's from. Trying to find the notes. I think it's BFI. So towards the end of those notes. Um, so, uh, in 2001, he made his American stage debut and returned to the theatre after decades away, playing Undershaft in a Broadway revival of Major Barber that also featured uh, Dana, Ivy and Cherry Jones. Uh, back in the UK, he subsequently appeared in a Feast of Snails at the Lyric Theatre in 2002 and Where There's a Will at the Theatre Royale Bath. In 2005, he played the title role in King Lear uh, at Chichester Festival Theatre. He returned to Stratford for the first time in more than four decades in August 2007 as an RSC honorary artist to play Sir John Falstaff in the Courtyard Theatre revival Henry IV Part 1 and Part 2. Um, yeah, it mentions here about him doing a bit of uh, voiceover work as well. Um, I don't know if there was more about his return to theatre. I just read a little small bit from the uh, BFI notes. So I don't know if there's a bit more about his... There might be a bit more probably... Couldn't find them, Jeremy. You couldn't find it? No. Yeah. I don't know where you're looking. Let me have a look. Let's have a look. <laughs> so I think we've read it out, but... Um, that's not it. Um, what are you reading from? The BFI notes. You've got them as well, haven't you? That's, that's it. Is it? That's it. Uh, oh, no. No, that's a bit you missed off, I don't know. No, that's the whole thing. Well, maybe I'm wrong in the notes that I'm reading from. Uh, oh, no. no, sorry, sorry. No, I'm I'm wrong. Big pardon. It's the variety.com notes. My, my mistake. That's... <laughs> been helpful yeah like, three minutes ago <laughs> yeah yeah so it's like what should be right at the yeah, end yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 
Okay, we're, we're, yeah, we're I, good. Yeah, so that's fine. I thought I was going a bit mad there. No, that's all right. That's fine. Mm. Okay, and this does all sound weird. It does sound right, but it's like I can't mm. see yeah. it. <sighs> so payback for Frankie or something. <laughs> <laughs> I did get a bit lost in that episode. Yeah. Um, um, <clears throat> back to TV. Yeah, I think TV because that's I did go into a bit of a film, didn't I? So you yeah. went from filming to telly, didn't you, a bit? I think so, yeah. Um, I mean, we can use any of these. Uh, um, I mean, it's basically where you, where you want to go from here. Um, you are? Yeah. Um, should we have a look at... I'll tell you what, should we read um, the film and television from the Wikipedia notes? Because we haven't really touched on the Wikipedia notes yet. So, uh, so, so film and television. Um, so you mentioned, I think you mentioned about he made his film debut. Yes, yeah, I did mention yeah. it. Um, mentioned that. Um, he also appeared as Konstantin Treplev in Sidney Lumet's 96-hour adaptation of Andrew, Anton Chekhov's The Seagull. I start alongside Jason Robards and Stella Stevens as Reverend Joshua Duncan Sloan um, in Sam Peckinpah's The Ballad of Cable Hogue. In horror films, he appeared in one of the stories of Beyond the Grave, opposite Gregory Peck in The Omen 1976, as the ill-fated photojournalist Keith Jennings and the 1979 thriller Nightwing. He also starred in cult classic Waxwork 1988 and featured alongside a young Avigo Mortensen in the 1990 film Tripwire. He often played villains in films such as um, The 39 Steps, 1978, which I think I've actually seen him in. He was very good in that. Time After Time, 1979. Time Bandits, 1981. Tron, 82. And Hannah's War, 1988. Uh, and te TV series such as Batman, the animated series, play, playing Razal Ghul. Um, the ancient mutant scientist Herbert Landon in Spider-Man's uh, animated series um, as well as Rogue Agent Alpha from Men in Black the Archmage in Disney's Gargoyles and the Lobin Freakazoid um, did you want to read the next bit? Yeah, carry on, carry on. on he was also cast against type as Henry Niles in Straw Dogs 1971 and as Bob Cratchit in the 1984 telefilm A Christmas Carol starring George C. Scott as Scrooge in addition he played German SS Open Gruppenführer. And you know that because of um, High Castle. Reinhard Heydrich, both in the film Hitler's Hitler's SS, SS Portrait in Evil, and the TV uh, Television Ministry's Holocaust as Sinister Millionaire, Amos Hackshaw, and HBO's original 1991 film Cast and Deadly Spell. So, you know, throughout his career, he's possibly played, he's been known for playing villains, um, which obviously includes. You know, he played the the, the Butler Lovejoy in um, Titanic in '96, um, which actually he'd been in um, the third time he appeared in a film that is actually about to include references to Titanic. And he was also in Scream Two, apparently. But I don't recall. He must have been. I haven't seen Scream Two in a while. It's got me quite intrigued because I, I don't remember him being in that. But obviously he must have been. Um. Uh. Gus Gold, who played in that. Yeah. 
but I, oddly enough, haven't seen it, so I no. don't know if that doesn't mean anything to me. No. No. Um, it's also in the remake of Planet of the Apes. Which one? 2002. 2001. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that was... Um, Tim, Tim Byrne, directed by Tim Byrne and starring uh, Mark Wahlberg. But, okay, I do remember going to see that at the cinema, but I don't think I've seen it since then. Um, do you want to carry on reading some more about his um, his TV stuff? In 1981, Warner received an Emmy Award for Outstanding Sporting Actor in a miniseries special for Masata? Mas- Pompus Falco in he appeared in Danny Huston film Mr. North. Um, he appeared in Star Trek 5, Star Trek 6, uh, Avatar known as Matrix Hunter in the USA, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the Secret of the Ooze 1991, which he appeared in because that something is Dorsgood's watch. I think, which I thought was quite a fun reason why. Hmm. Where is that? Because it's about all these curious things, and it's like you get Teenage Mutant inserts out, which I think is not meant to be a great film. But um, but you said he appeared in it because his daughter liked. Because I think his daughter could watch. Hmm. Say that. Um, nope, not there. That's what I'm, really I'm assuming it's not in those notes. So I'm having a look, see if I can find what you're looking for. Mentions about that. Oh, Paddy also uh, returned, he was in. Um, Mary Poppins Returns as well in 2018. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I found it. Yeah, um, yeah. He, uh, he was most pleased by Teenager Min- Min- Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 The Secret of the Use 1991, as it meant he could look his daughter's friends in the face. Yeah. Yeah. As ever, I just found it. As you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yes, right, so, yeah. But um. I, it's such a versatile actor because the thing is he's been known for playing villains but he's also and I need to try and find it because it does um, good guys I think is what you're in about yeah, yeah oh yeah yeah here we go I think it's just a bit further down he uh, Warner's sympathetic side has been evident in Sam Peckinpah's Cross of Iron 1977 where he betrayed Captain Kizzle this is basically from what we're reading on from earlier on Wikipedia um, other nice guy roles include the charismatic Aldu Gajit in Grail, a first season 1994 episode of Always oh, in Babylon 5 as well, okay. And obviously Chancellor Gorkon in uh, Star Trek 6. And an episode of Lou, uh, uh, Louis and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Thank you. He played Superman's deceased Kryptonian father, Joel? Yeah. yeah. Who appeared to his son through holographic recordings. Warner also played ambiguous nice guys such as Vampire Baxter. I love you read everything. In what sense? I was picking choose stuff. Yeah. You usually read everything now and I'm going, okay, whatever. Uh, Philip Payne in 1979's Nightwing and Dr. Richard Madden in 1994's Necronomicon Book of the Dead. So, 
and there's, there's, there's some other roles that he's played as well. That there's also quite a big fascination on Doctor Who as well. Yeah. Video dramas, which I find interesting. Because he did appear in Doctor Who once. Met Smith here. In the episode, was he wearing like a hat? Cold War is playing a Rusky. Yeah. Playing a Russian and a submarine. Yeah, I think I'm. Episode like... called Cold War, very cool. Is it a good one? What's it's a fun one, yeah. Um, Ice Warriors. Yeah. But he played a variant variation of the Doctor, which is in an awful lot of oh, uh, big Finnish productions. Mm. They're a big name in Doctor Who. Yeah. I, I, it goes on. Oh, and that was it. In 2009, he was also the voice of Lord Zalok of Bifrox, an in insectoid alien race and animated Doctor Who serial, Dreamland, which is quite an interesting thing. It was interesting I never quite got the gist of it but it was, mm. I remember watching it at the time uh, he also contributed voice acting to a number of video games and those who playing the villain in John something oh, oh god that's fun John Arunkus yeah, in, yeah that's right in, Bal in Baldur, Baldur's Gate 2 Shadows of Am and Morpheus in Fallout don't, don't forget he Play, he narrated the Disney director video Pooh's Grand Adventure The Search for Christopher Robin oh he did not yeah you know that that classic yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, is there any more we want to touch oh, we upon we could spend for hours so, yeah um, but he's In 2010, writer and actor Mark Gatiss, who's most known for Doctor as well and um, League of Gentlemen, interviewed Warner about his role in The Omen for his uh, documentary series, A History of Horror. In November 2013, David Warner posed for Rory uh, Lewis, photographer's Northerners exhibition. David's image was acquired by the National Portrait Gallery in London. It was the first professional portrait sitting of David since 1966. David Warner was married twice. He, he married his first wife, Harriet Lindgren, yep. in 1969. They divorced three years later in 1972. He later married his second wife, uh, Shelia Kent, in 1979. The marriage lasted for 26 years until their divorce in 2005. Warner had a son, Luke, a trans man who came in 2008 and then tribute after his father's passing. Luke noted that some outlets had misreported his father as having a son and a daughter, and also revealed that his father, who had supported his transition and helped choose his name, had quietly donated several LGBTQ organisations during his lifetime. Having been diagnosed with cancer 18 months prior, which he had kept hidden from public, David Warner died of lung cancer related illness um, on 24th July 2022 at the age of 80. Yeah, I mean, just another incredible person just lived, you know, an amazing life of just such versatile acting, said through through stage work, through film and television, voiceover work. Um, I said he, he, as you said, he was a. That's the thing, you know, he didn't do theatre work, but he still thrived on television and film. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going back to the stage. Yeah, which, I, yeah, considering what happened, I completely understand. But the fact he, he, he'd returned. Particularly, so many years later, 
you know, I think it's amazing. I think that's just a testament to, obviously, he obviously overcame that fear, which I think is brilliant. So, you know, just, but yeah, as, as Simon Collis said, we could spend hours talking about him, because there's so much more here, but obviously, you know, um, obviously we'll be here forever. But yeah, honestly, guys, like, feel free to check out his notes yourself. It says Memory Alpha, Wikipedia. I haven't put the notes in the... Um, no, but no. because there's too many. You know, no, but if you search David Warner, you'll find plenty of pain. Um, so yeah, just it's just. We probably haven't spent enough time, but how much time? But you can't that's, really. That's the issue. When you have a tough year like Jamie's had, you want to talk about everyone yeah. for forever, and that's what makes this episode so difficult every year. Hmm. That we want it to we want to take time to spend chatting about them all. Hmm. But we're also aware that that's an awful lot of time to listen to, and I know that you've just had another what, five hours of interviews just gone. Yeah, because obviously our two hundred episode, yeah. I think so. It's a very weird thing, and again, it's that weird thing. It's kind of I love doing this episode, but it's also quite sad that mm. we can't spend longer doing it. But I'm, I'm. I'm glad we can do it every year. Mm. We take the time to do it. Because mm. I think it's what you were saying. It's like, I'm not sure how many other people do it. Yeah. And showing so. a lot on people that may people may not know. Mm. Maybe that's a good section into the next name. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know, unless there's something you really want to talk about, Dave Warner about, but no, I, no. I don't think there's any way we can possibly talk about... That's why. I, that's why I wanted to bring up um, his. I think it's RSC notes. Hmm. It's the way they talk about him. Kind of. He was an. You know, he was a incredibly humble man, but he was a kind man, awesome. Hmm. And you know, because I, I, I want to bring different aspects of the people's personality in, instead of just reading out notes. Of kind of like this person who did sing. Well, that's great because that's what I loved about. Um, hmm. Um, that lady a few years ago was that her acting and hearing mm. from those students mm. I always want to bring that aspect to it kind mm. of it's cause it, it, how, it, it how puts, this person touched people's lives yeah it, it puts a more personal stance on on the notes that we read through um, so we move on to the next one yeah yep. do you want me to start Jerry yeah can this yeah. one I suggested yeah so this one's probably going to be quite a short one mm. there's not much on her but I think she's an interesting personality. Dorothy Ruth Duda, um, born 9th of July 1952, um, passed away on the 1st of July this year, and she was a food stylist on um, Enterprise. And died at age 69. Was a food stylist for the entire full year run of South Trek Enterprise. It was the first time in South Trek history that a food stylist was permanently on crew preparing food for camera. Her creations created all meals served in the metal and at the captain's table retro trek food and alien banquets. Dude's husband was Star Trek veteran and Star Trek Deep Space Nine senior artist Dab Drexler. Which is kind of how I came aware of her. Mm. Drexler listed Duda in one of the Akuda grounds displayed on the description of Dominion War casualties in uh, Deep Space Nine Season 7, Dorothy R. Duda. Dee started her career as an extra in film and television such as the drama The Right Stuff. 
1983 and went on to production accountant and produce worked as a social producer on the comedic comedy drawing a crime series the Sandra West Diaries from 2016 to 2017. In 1997, she worked as wardrobe accountant on sitcom Sybil and also appeared an extra in the gym. Uh, in the gym in episode Some Like It Hot, uh, she made another appearance as seamstress to uh, Christine Baranski in the penultimate episode series Sybil in the Morning. Um, on the 1st of July this year, Duda lost her battle with cancer and ages. Uh, 69 and then if you go on Doug Strexler's Facebook page he has what he calls DOS Band Enterprise Cookbook have you got that down there no, no. 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 no why don't you read some of it yeah or okay. read all of it or most of it okay. on the second page the yellow bit you can leave off because that's kind of duplicated okay um so is this um, is this in his words or hers? Her word, I her think, yeah, pretty much covering from her, which so I thought was lovely. So what is food styling? I've been a foodie all my life. It's in my genes. In the realm of print media, a food stylist works in tandem with the set design team and photographer to present food in a way that represents whatever is written about it in a newspaper or magazine article. The set design uh, team selects dishes, glasses, linens, flowers and other props that will compose the finished photo. The props are chosen to complement the food as we eat first with our eyes. The stylist prepares the foods and arranges it on the dish, dishes, platters, barbecue grill, etc. Food is typically styled cold as it holds better for camera. The photographer will test the f- uh, light the food and if necessary have the stylist make adjustments for the camera. This can be as minuscule as trimming a cilantro leaf with cutar scissors. Yes, I've been asked to do that. Or as a major or as major as painting a platter of flank steak to make it look more juicy. Um, the goal in styling food for print is static. The food is a stationary style. In film and TV, the stylist works directly with the prop master. Um, the PM gives the stylist a breakdown of the scenes where food will appear and they'll work together to decide which sample dishes will be prepared to present to the director. And then the director selects which dishes will be used in a particular scene. It's up to the stylist to prepare these dishes in quantity and bring the food to the set for filming. Sometimes the studio will have a fully equipped kitchen or often the food is prepared off site. Um, during preparation, consideration must be given to which actors will be eating the food and whether they have any food sensitivities or preferences. Um, the stylist is responsible for making multiples of any dish selected for filming as it's normal to have repeated shots. Um, and obviously in each take they, the food must match perfectly. Um, if a script calls for an actor to cut into a steak, it's necessary to reset his plate after each take with a fresh uncut steak. This continuity is essential to the editing process. Um, the goal in styling food for film and TV is dynamic. Something is always happening to, with or around the food and the action dictates the shot. The actors are the stars. Uh, previous to Enterprise, it was not necessary to have a dedicated food stylist on the crew. Oh, that is interesting. That is really interesting. Um, on Enterprise, I was required to make significant quantities of food to... Uh, you can read that if you want, if you're really like, bothered, but it's like... No, it's fine, it's fine. Okay. Um, to accommodate multiple takes. There is always food left over, most of which was given to the art of the pile or sent home with the set crew. Due to safety issues, the food that had been sitting out on set was discarded. At the end of each season, when we shut down the show and cleared out the prop room, several shopping carts full of canned goods, juices and 
uh, condiments were donated to a local condiments. food condiments condiments were, t- were no <laughs> donated to a local food bank the prop c- room capture was clean and no food was wasted win win don't read it Jeremy please don't read it because it's the same and then, <laughs> unless we're doing a um, which, which I still got wrong the um, oh blimey yeah they know Jeremy yeah. they know repeating yeah. cause and effect so uh, yeah I thought that was lovely came came from actually her, her yeah um, and, and there's actually recipes on there so if you actually want to recreate some of the things that she created you can actually go and make them mm. there's actually full recipes on there but I just thought cool. I just thought it was really interesting because you know I've watched dozens of shows and you know or films where you see food in movies people eating it but I've never really given much thought to I was just adamant I said to Jay, it's like, I really want we need a production up there I yeah. don't care we need one up there and yeah. I just I said here's this name like Mm. You should maybe consider it because it's. And it was, yeah, it's, it's just amazing. It's a really brief thing, there's hardly anything on her, which is a real shame. Yeah. Because he's really heartbroken. You go on his Facebook and he's yeah. really heartbroken with it because I'm friends with him on the. This mm. way I knew about the cookbook and things. But yeah. Sorry, it's quite. I wanted to. Why I suggested it to you because I thought it's quite nice and putting it out there. Yeah, and I think a food stylist, I mean. That's something quite unique, I think, uh, particularly within Star Trek itself. The fact that, because I said before, you know, but with Enterprise, obviously a different era, wasn't it? It's um, the way she talks about it. I just think it's fascinating. Mm, kind of mm. the way you know she sees it in like print media. It's a different way, and then you see it on film, and it's a totally different way. Like because, like you're saying, you just think, oh, food stylist. Oh, it's just one way. You like you, you just have one technique, and that's that. Mm. But the way she's talking about it is. It's a very, ways too. It's, it's a very complicated a, process, yeah. Yeah, there's more to it than you think. Mm. So it's just a bit like, you know, well, let's, can we do her? Like, we need a production in here, Jamie, because it's like... <laughs> no, no it's... Yeah, no. And I think it's fascinating. As you said, there's a shame there's not more on her, because yeah, I feel like... nice pictures in there as well. Yeah. So I'd, I'd check out the cookbook if you can, because yeah. I think it's a really fascinating... Because I've got to admit, I mean, the food they cooked and said during the Enterprise series, I'd love to eat that because it did look delicious. It really did look really nice. Whether whether it was um, obviously in um, uh, the the mess hall or in you know when you see Archer to pole and ship dining with the captain or something like that. So you know, but but yeah, it's a shame there's not many much more nights because I feel like there's more there's a lot more here that could probably be said about her, um, but. You know, but and I like the fact that they were aware that they had all this food like food lying around and it went to good causes at the end yeah, of the season. Charity, so that yeah. was lovely as well. Mm. I think it's an early draft because if as you can see it's all copied there, so I don't know what was going on with it, but it seems mm. as though they were gonna go and write something more, but it never because as I say, what I told Jamie not to read is at the point where it says at the end of each season it's effectively copy and pasted below it. Yeah. So Jamie has a habit of Carry on reading, and I didn't want him reading out the same thing. I'm going at the end of each season. Let me shut down. Yeah, so. Yeah, all, all that we missed off was a bit about kind of saying about original series and kind of. It was interesting. It's, yeah, I just found it a bit kind of not. Not really more, relevant. Yeah. Relevant to what we're but talking go about. But go and check it out because I think there's some brilliant recipes in there. Well mm. worth. Again, looking some up that you may not know. Was there? Yeah. I said I, I, you know, I never really gave much thought. So I said I want someone to do it. Yeah, but I think 
And that was her. And you know, and considering as you say, and you can go out and create her recipes for you. Yeah. And the thing is, with Solar Enterprise, with that all that food, well, you can need a food stylist. So yeah. Um, next person. Hey. Yeah. So next person. Um, I think it's been on my list for at least a couple of years now. Is uh, well since last year, I think. Uh, Dean Stockwell. Um, so he was um, Robert Dean Stockwell who's an actor obviously uh, born 5th of March 1936 and uh, passed away on the 7th of November 2021 age 85 or it's better known simply as Dean Stockwell he was the award winning actor who played portrayed Grat in the Enterprise first season episode your favourite Detained he was perhaps best known for his four time Emmy Award nominated role as Rear Admiral Albert or Al Calavici in the cult science fiction series Quantum Leap from 1989 through to 93 in which he co-starred with future Enterprise stars Can I jump in Scott Bakula. I can't believe that I held that secret for years and then who was it? Was it Neil? Who was it? Who ruined it? Oh, what 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 in in Quantum Leap? What Simon's referring to is what Sam? Who the, ruined it? There was um. The, I I asked Simon when I first started watching everything because I haven't gone back to it. But I said, well, if he can Quantum Leap, can he Quantum Leap into animals? And Simon said, yes, that does happen once. But I never told him. Yeah. And then what? Who who was it? Can you remember who did it? Because they're all versions of one that I can't remember who was it. It might be Neil, but I'm not sure. I don't want to say for sure. I know it wasn't Rick. No. No, it might have been Wayne. Is he the wait? There's three candidates. Is he the <laughs> Neil? I know they're going to be sitting there going. It's obvious it was that person, but I can't remember. I spent so long trying to sort them out. I can't remember what we did. It's either Neil, but I don't think so. It might have been too uh, too long ago. Hmm. Wouldn't be Rick. Rick's that's not Rick style. Hmm. Well, it's, oh, we're watching. Constantly. Telling you. Oh, telling you. Oh, okay. Wayne. Possibly. Mm. Or it was Clive. It's either Clive or Wayne, I think. I think you might be right, yeah. I'm not sure which one. How could you but guys? I mean, How could this, you? All this time, I'm not telling you. And yeah. then it's be like, oh yeah, he did this and this. And it's like, oh. Yeah, was, okay. we might, wasn't it a dog, wasn't it? Or was it something else? I've forgotten. I've forgotten, yeah. That's all, I can just look it up. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, yeah. Sorry, um, that's, I know it's tangent, but it's one of those things where you just go, well, that was... <laughs> and I think it was nice, because Clive, that's why we added him in the poll. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Colonel Gratz in the poll was, like, mm. one episode character. Did I? I don't think I... I don't remember, Jamie. I can't remember if I voted for him or not. But, yeah, I'm glad you did include him. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so, Stockwell was born in Hollywood, California. Um, he began acting as a child, uh, making his film debut at the age of nine in 1945's The Valley of Decision, co-starring... Uh, oh, okay, that was, that was um, he, follow, he followed this with a supporting role in the Frank Sinatra musical film Anchors Away that same year. He remained extremely busy throughout the 40s and 50s, with major supporting roles in classic films such as Gentleman's Agreement 1947 and The Secret Garden in 1949. I thought that was interesting because I do love Secret Garden. Hmm. Well, not that version. I don't. Have you ever seen that version? No. I know I haven't really seen many films of that era. I don't I think. I've seen I've seen some. My dad and Nan they said they like they love the classic. Yeah, you lived that sort of sixties film and fifties and sixties. 
I mean, look, I've, I've seen The Big Sleep with Humphrey Bogart. That's not a 1949, and that's absolutely one of the best films I've ever seen. But yeah, um, yeah, sorry, tangent again. Um, Stockwell remained active in the acting business throughout his adulthood. Um, do you want to read something a bit more? Yeah. On. I'm, I'm looking what's coming up. Next. In 1957, age 21, he co-starred with Jeffrey Hunter, so see who played Pike, Captain Pike in Menagerie and it's Cage. Kind of same thing, but yeah, yeah. Uh, in, T- in TOS. Um, sorry, I lost my lost my. Uh, in the Western Gun for a Coward, he also gave acclaimed performances in the classic films Compulsion, 1959, with Wilson Wells. Um, and Long Day's Journey into Night in 62, winning Best Actor Awards from, from the Canines Film Festival Cans. for both. Cans. Cans. I can't pronounce things you... You can't pronounce things either, yeah. Um, <laughs> in 1965, Stockwell played the recurring role of Dr. Rudy Devereaux on the NBC drama series, drama series Dr. Kildare, working with Andrew Prine. <laughs> oh, I keep saying it. It's just automatic. I know, but that's why I colour code. You colour code, yes, Simon, I know. You're much more organised than me. I think everyone listening knows that by now. Um, the other TV programmes in which Stockwell appeared in the 50s and 60s include an episode of Playhouse 90 with George Takai, because that's relevant. Look. No, you did put it. An episode of the time, <laughs> so we're then his name, Moy. Multiple episodes of Wagon Train. Um, well, yeah, original series was based on wagon trains, isn't it? Wag- yeah. Wagon trains yeah, to the stars, aren't they? Yeah, Western in space. Yeah. Um, do you want to read? Do you want to read the next bit? You finish this bit, and I'll read something else. Okay. Promise. Uh, throughout the nineteen seventies, he starred on. I'll just list a list a few of these. Uh, starred on TV series such as Mission Impossible, which obviously Andy Moy also did as well. Um, Streets of San Francisco, Free for the Road. Uh, and Tales of the Unexpected. Um, he also appeared in multiple episodes of the anthology series Police Story, including one with William Shatner as well. So, yeah. Um, what did you want to go on to read next? You said there was something you were... Because, I mean, there's a bit more that he's appeared in, but I, I want to kind of drop that habit of keep reading every, every single thing out. So. Um... Stockwell had roles in two films from director David Lynch, 1984's June, which also had uh, Patrick Stewart in it, yeah. and 1986's Blue Velvet. Yeah, which I've seen. Have you, seen, you not seen, have you seen Blue Velvet? Uh, brilliant film, and he was excellent in that as well. Uh, 1985's Legend of Billie Jean, and 1988's Tucker the Man and the Dream, whatever the hell that is. In addition, he had the, oh, oh yeah, I like this one. In addition, he had a sporting role in Paramount Pictures' 1987 sequel, Beverly Hills Cop 2, along with Ronnie Cox, who was carried out from the first film. Uh, Stockwell earned an Academy Award nomination for his performance in the sporting role of Tony the Tiger of Roscoe in the 1980 film Married to the Mob. Some of his later films credit include The Player in 1992, Air Force One from 1997, yep. The Mentorian Candidate from 2004, they team, Miami Vice, Murder She Wrote, Lois, Lois and Clark. Lois and Alright. And, and New Adventures of Superman. Well, I know that because I watched it growing up. Yeah. That's got Terry Hatcher in it. Mm. That Again, that was one of those repeats on the mm. early BBC well, 2. What I find interesting with the player one is it's, it's appeared with a lot of the other Star Trek actors. Um, Stargate SG 1. Yep. Uh, in 2000, Stockwell provided advice for the 
animated director film movie Batman Beyond Return to Joker uh, provided a voice for the animated series Captain Planet and the Planet Ears, which I think is a big thing in America Sockwell played the regular villain in Duke Nukem uh, in 2002, Stockwell had a reoccurring role in the short-lived CBS drama First Monday, created by Quantum Leap producer Donald Belisario. This, this is what I got a bit weird because it's. I love the way they spend all this time chatting about it, and if you read it, it's completely unrelated because it's to do with someone else acting. This is if I read bit, it right, yeah. yeah. Have a read of it, and you read it, and you go, actually, they're talking about someone else. I think so. You go, oh, well, yeah, what's yeah. the point? <laughs> Because they say, you know, starring Gail Strickland as Senator Edward Shefford. The sh- series was cancelled, but Blessero decided to transfer the Sheffield character to Jack. Jack between. Yeah. So why are we hearing about that woman who's got nothing to do with... I know he kind of went on to... Is that right. what? Um, this is a bit I like. Do you mind if I read this little bit at the end? Uh, Stockwell reunited with Scott Bakula once more in 2014 for an episode of NCIS New Orleans which was one of his final screen appearances. Because I'm a... Um, I'm, I'm, um, I forgot to mention one of his other bigger roles. But you finished that one. Um, yeah, it's said with Scott Bakula, one of my favourite um, crime series. Um, he also, uh, as Simon pointed out, uh, he starred... Uh, Appeared on Ronald D. Moore's produce update at Battlestar Galactica, each playing one of the 12... He's one of the 12 Cylon agent models as well. Yeah. I need to go back and rewatch that. I watched it during lockdown. Yeah. They repeated it on BBC mm. sporadically, but yeah, I watched it. Mm. Uh, Dean Stockwell passed away on. Oh, you've. They don't actually say why. Maybe we. Maybe uh, we need to look at Variety. Maybe Variety has something a little more. Yeah. Because he's. Apparently, to this, he also had 200 uh, film credits as well. Film, television mm. credits. Uh. Did we say he picked up a Sporting Actor Oscar nomination for the uh, Merit of the Mob? Yeah, yeah. We did say that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um. Akula and Stockwell became close friends. Akula remembers Stockwell as a kind man who was generous to other actors, having been a child star and full of varied interests, ranging from music and the environment to cigarettes and golf. I loved him dearly and was honoured to know him. Akula said he made me feel... It made me a better human being. The role earned Stockwell four nominations for Primetime Emmys and a Golden Globe win in 1990 for Best performing, best Performance by an actor and a supporting role in a series, miniseries, or motion picture made in television. That's a horrible set of words, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Stockwell received a star on the Hoddle's Walk of Fame on February 29th, 1992. Um, same year as... Yeah, in which he played a disgruntled screenwriter in Robert Altman's The Player, but there was plenty more memorable performance for which Sockwell did not receive um, award recognition. I think he should have done, he was amazing in that. Did you see this right at the end of the um, Variety Notes? Was it this one? Is it that one? Oh, yes, there you go, yeah. I found this funny as well. Sockwell was a long-time friend and musician Neil Young, and the pair co-wrote and co-directed a little scene, 1980 film, film Human Highway. Long, long, long an artist, Sockwell designed the cover art for Young's album American Stars and Bars, yeah. which is cool. 
Um, and he also worked as a um, what we'd call a state agent as well for a while. Yeah. So I didn't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Though. It, there's not there's not really much about his personal life, really, how he got into acting or that kind of stuff, which I would be you know interesting to know. But he's done a lot of stuff. Um, and like David Warner, kind of one of those actors I've kind of grown up in my childhood and you know recognised in certain things when they voiced it or they've acted in it. So um, you're thinking this bit. I left that blank, but if you yeah. go for it, no, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, it's you kind of revisit. Uh, yeah, I just I find them a bit irritated because then you have the Sith raid and trying to find interesting names. Yeah, but because um, it's people that have appeared once, you go okay. He did appear with he did work with David Warner in a film called Naked Souls in 1995. Did we say with all of pretty much all of these people they all appeared in um, Gargoyles? Yeah, they, one yeah. one like ongoing theme that. You yeah. look at them and they all have gargles and you go, okay, I'll get the message. Yeah. yeah. Gargles. So, but, yeah, yeah, I just, I, I wanted to include, oh, sorry, I wanted to include him this year. I said Dean Stockwell, just another amazing, versatile actor like, like David Warner, who'd just done an incredible amount of work and, you know, it's, it's just, it's just, it's a shame, as you say, but, uh, you know. Um, but yeah, just another incredible name and just someone we wanted to kind of just acknowledge and, you know, just list out the, the, the amazing achievements that he's done. So, is there anything more you want to say on Dean Stockwell? No, unless no. you're desperate to. No, no, no. Um, so, should we go on to our, our last name? Yeah, the one and only Nichelle Nichols. Yes. Um, born Grace Daryl Nichols. Uh, born 28th December 1932, uh, died 30th of, uh, passed away I should say. 28th, oh. 30th July yeah. this year, um, at the age of 89. Um, actually, you know what, I'm going to make life a bit easier. I'm going to read the the one, or... Oh, the in memory in memory in memory in memory in memory I can't say in memory in memo ram in memo ram from the latest Star Trek Explorer or Star Trek magazine um, they have in there written by Ian Spelling um, I haven't actually really read it but I just thought oh, it would be a good thing to add show Nichols of do you want to read it all? I don't have to read it all, mate. It's up to you. It's, how much is there? That's it. That's it, mate. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, do you want to read it or do you want me to? You go for it. Okay. Michelle Nichols um, has joined Gene Roddenberry, DeForest Kelly, James Dewan, Majel Badgett Roddenberry, Leonard Moore, and Grace Lee Whitney in The Final Frontier. The beloved actress who originated the role of Lieutenant Nyota O'Hara in Star Trek passed away on July 30th, 2022, at 89. She'd been in declining health following a mild stroke in 2015 and a 2018 dementia diagnosis, though she continued to appear at conventions until a few months before her death. Nichols was born on December 28, 1932, in Robbins, Illinois, and was of Ethiopian, Moorish, Egyptian, Spanish, Welsh, and Cherokee descent, led a remarkable life. She achieved success as an actress, model, dancer, singer, touring with Duke Ellington at 15, 
activist, NASA recruiter, author and more. She stirred women and minorities to make their own marks on the world. Whoopi Goldberg asked to be on uh, TNG as a thank you to Roddenberry and a tribute to Nichols. Most fans know of Nichols' trek to Star Trek. As a young actress, she appeared in uh, Porgy and Bess, Mr. Budwing and Made in Paris. Their 1964 guest spot in the TV drama The Lieutenant changed everything. Her performance inspired writer-producer Gene Roddenberry and the two enjoyed a brief romance. He remembered her when he set to work on his next show, Star Trek. She was cast as Lieutenant Ahura, a name she helped pick and settled into to, into the communications officer's seat on the bridge. Though the character provided minimal acting challenges, Nichols imbued Ahura with honour, dignity and professionalism. Famously, when Nichols chose to leave Star Trek in the hopes of finding more fulfilling roles, Dr Martin Luther King convinced her to stay. Nichols went on to co-star in all six original cast features and voiced Ahura for Star Trek The Animated Series and two Star Trek video games. She subsequently became the queen of the convention circuit, formed her association with NASA, acted in everything from truck turner, gargoyles and snow dogs to heroes. Are We There Yet? An Unbelievable and wrote a memoir, Beyond the Horror, and a novel, Saturn's Child. She received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1992. Upon word of her death, tributes rolled in. Nichols' son, Carl Johnson, wrote, Her light, like the ancient galaxies now being seen for the first time, will remain for us and future generations to enjoy, learn from and draw inspiration. Hers was a life well lived and as such a model for us all. George Takaya said, While fans will miss and honour the famous actress who opened so many paths with her presence on the screen, I will also miss the dear friend who always let you know she was there to support you, to love you and to go through this strange and wonderful world alongside you. Nichelle Nichols, you are, you are one in a million in so many, many ways. It seems fitting that the final word should go to Nichols herself. In an interview in 2010, she discussed her legacy. I've had women of all stripes tell me how Uhura inspired them to reach for the stars, Nichols noted. I've had women who've known their children after Uhura and even after Nichelle. The incredible thing I've had, white men tell me, you've changed my life. They'd say, I came from a racist family until I saw you in that setting on Star Trek. I said, yes, that's the way life is supposed to be. What Jin did by casting us helped change society, change the way people thought, change the world. It's amazing. He wanted Star Trek to be a reflection of the world and that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an absolutely wonderfully well written um article as well. Was it Ian Spelling you said? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just And she had to get a mention this year because we met her yes. briefly. In um in at um EM Con in twenty fifteen. Uh, me, you, and Phil—we got all got her autographs. Yeah. Um, and she was she was absolutely lovely, absolutely lovely woman. And I said to Jane before we got going, I added because I got a picture as well with you her. You did. You did. And I actually added it to my memory alpha notes. Mm. So it's nice that I've got the picture. Yeah. In front of me as well, which is sweet. And I'm also so I'm still wearing a pin. Before the news of her passing away, I was going to wear something else. But I'm actually wearing a pretty heavy um, Michelle Nichols farewell to a fanset pin. Yeah, and I, and it looks absolutely amazing. I think the fanset. It's really heavy. Yeah, but I think the fanset guys, the, the, the amount of detail on that is incredible. So. Because that was her last tour before mm. she stepped away from conventions and things. Yeah, and the fact said, despite you know her her health, she still attended conventions, which I think is an incredible thing to do. Because that's what I remember about that one was. I went, I went up to her and sort of said, I don't know, you know, you choose the picture and she chose the picture and then you copied me, you did the same as I did. Yeah, yeah. 
But yeah, that was a. My words to them both was, you got to do it now. Yeah. Like we don't know how long the original cast are going to be around for. Yeah, and I think I think if I remember correctly, I think the price was really great. I mean, it's like fifteen pound for an autograph from Nichelle Nichols. I mean, you know. So yeah, I mean yeah. So me and Phil kind of was like, you know, actually, good point. So, and that's one thing I'll always. I'm glad. I'm glad that you persuaded us to do it. Because I think looking back now, I think if if we'd said uh, if we'd declined, I think I know I definitely would have regretted it. So, no, so I don't do face shoots, but that's a picture I'm quite happy with. Yeah. It's one that yeah really works. Because you and Michelle now next to each other doing the Vulcan salute, isn't it? Which so I that, that was just fun. That was just a that was a I think that was a long day because that was a yeah we stayed quite late because I had photo problems didn't they I think I had my Fred Dwarf photo shoot and, and I think I had someone from uh, Game of Thrones I think it was wasn't it so yeah but yeah just mm. I mean where to start I mean oh um, oh I found it interesting Nichols lobbied to appear as Guinan's daughter in Sasha Next Generation Richard Arnold added this by suggesting it uh, Los Angeles Creation Convention and they decided that Nichols might appear as Gwen's mother or daughter however neither eventually came to pass hmm. so that would have been an interesting addition hmm. and Shell's um, Shell was discovered by jazz legend Duke Ellington in her mid-teens touring with both Ellington and Lionel Hampton as lead singer and dancer to break into acting uh, in the film Porgy and Bess and had a, an acting career lasting over 45 years uh, her first television role was the lieutenant as you said um, she also made television appearances as herself in It Takes Two uh, 1969 Head of Class 1988 and The Weakest Link in 2002 she also voiced animated versions of herself in The Simpsons yeah. and in two episodes of Future Arm Mark she was quite fun to watch she uh, appeared in two Tarzan films, Tarzan's Jungle Rebellion, 1967, um, and Tarzan's Deadly Silence, 1970. These were episodes from Tarzan TV series edited together and released as films. She also appeared in the TV movies Getting Up, Getting Up Morning, 1964. I think I said that right. Yeah, uh, I said that right. William yeah. Shakespeare's Anthony and Cleopatra from late 83. Uh, Aside from the six Starship films, her other films include Made in Paris, nineteen sixty six, the Black Exploitation classic Truck Turner from nineteen seventy four, Budwing, nineteen sixty six, The Supernaturals, nineteen eighty six, Disney Snow Dogs from two thousand two, and Are We There Yet, two thousand five. Nichols co produced and played such a role in the twenty eleven film Lady Madeleines. Her other voice work includes a recurring role of Diane Mazza in Gargoyles uh, and appeared in the episode Avatar in Batman the Animated Series in 2006 and Cheryl Nichols role of Uhura in uh, Of Gods and Men um, and she had a reoccurring role in Heroes um yeah, I, I, I'm not familiar with that 
that role, so I don't know. I don't think I saw it that far. What's that? Permanent yeah. Heroes. No. I'm, I was aware of um, obviously Zachary Quinto and George Takai, but I'd never seen mm. Michelle Nichols in it. Do you want to uh, read, Jay? Should we go on to a bit about her legacy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Go for it, Jay. Uh, so, um, Nicole, uh, Nicole's role as a whore on Star Trek was one of the first times an African-American actress portrayed a non-stereotypical role on TV. Um, previously, most African-American female characters on American TV were depicted as maids or housekeepers, and Nicole's role helped break that barrier. Um, years later, Whoopi Goldberg told Nick was about excitedly watching the horror as a child and telling her mother, come quick, come quick, there's a black lady on TV and she ain't no maid. Nichols um, participated with series star William Shatner in another breakthrough with an American episodic TV's first interracial kiss between fictional characters as seen in TOS Plato's, uh, Step- Plato's Stepchildren. Um, she became the first African-American actress to place her handprints in front of Hollywood's Grahman's Chinese Theatre, along with the rest of the cast. Um, I said in 92, she earned her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. After meeting Nichols at a Star Trek convention in 1975, scientist Jesko, Dr. Jesko von Kammer suggested that the actress take part in NASA's recruitment drive. Nichols took up that role in 1977, making recruitment and training films and supervising astronaut recruits and hopefuls. She noted that within six months, the applicant count went from fewer than 100 years to 1,649. Most of the recruits that she attracted were women or from ethnic minorities. For her efforts, Nichols was named as NASA's Woman of the Year in 1979. NASA astronaut Sally Ride, Guy Bluefield, Judith Resnick and Ronald McNair were all recruited as a direct result of Nichelle Nichols' employ as NASA's recruiter, specifically for minorities. Um, Nichols is a good friend of former NASA astronaut Dr. Mae Jemison. Dr. Jemison was a fan of the original Star Trek and was inspired by Nichols upon deciding to become the first African-American female astronaut. Jemison herself appeared in Second Chances. She is the transporter woman. Yeah. Um... Uh, in 2016 it was announced that Nichols would receive a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Saturn Awards for her role in Star Trek as well as her support for NASA so I know it said I wanted to read most of that it's not as much there's not much there I just thought it was just really just amazing just the sentiment of influence she had um, should we move on to maybe talk about, about personal background or yeah yeah does you want me to carry on or yeah, a bit more, and then yeah. I'll read some. Uh, so, Nichelle Nichols, she, so she had decided to leave the original Star Trek after the first season. Fed up with racist harassment and limitation, culminating with her learning that studio executives were withholding her fan mail, she submitted her resignation. She withdrew it when uh, Martin Luther King convinced her that her role was too important, cultural breakthrough to leave, and he was right. Uh, Nichols is said to have wearied of the constantly used line, hailing frequencies open, sir. After having to open Hailing Fruxes 14 times, her exact words were, if I have to open Hailing Fruxes one more time, I'll smash this goddamn console. Um, Dean Roddenberry wrote a horror's line, sometimes if I, if I hear that frequency one more time, I'll cry into the script as the, of the man trap as an in-joke referencing Nicole's hatred of the aforementioned sentence, which I thought was pretty cool. Dean Roddenberry offered him Nicole's his former lover, a very generous contract at the beginning of the first season, a flat rate of 
US rate $1,000 per episode. Um, uh, Although her contract oh, did yeah. not set a limit for the number of episodes appearing, Thank you. which the aforementioned performance contract all did, uh, the kind of men, male actors. However, Disney's legal department and other pro- uh, producers soon got angry about this. Um, so a new contract was negotiated with Michelle's salary reduced to $140 per day um, which oddly meant that she still got more yeah that worked, which is, um, interesting um, she authored two um, science fiction, fiction novels Saturn's Child Saturn's Quest um, she had a yeah it's a bit of a rough bit as well her younger brother Thomas Nichols committed suicide on 26th of March 1907 with the Heaven's Gate cult members in Ranch Santa Fe, California, near San Diego. Charles Nichols' son is actor Carl Johnson. Um, so, yeah, because I think Heaven's Gate's quite a famous thing in America, I think. Mm, yeah. Um, there's a little bit here from Variety. Dot com. I don't know if you want to. Yeah, don't know if you want to read any of these notes. It's kind of awful what we've already read here, if I'm honest. Um, Yeah, pretty much. Um, I find it funny about the kiss, though. Oh yeah, should we read that bit out? Um, uh, Nichols and Shatner remember the shooting of the famous kiss. Oh no, sorry. No, that's it. Yeah, very differently. In Star Trek memory, Shatner said, NBC insisted that the actor's lips never actually touched, though they appeared to. But in Nicole's 1994 autobiography, Beyond the Horror, which I I've, I did used to have, I did read a bit of it, and it was really interesting. Yeah, because I gave it to you. Because I ended up... It was weird, I bought it, and then I ended up buying an autographed copy of it, which I still own. Yeah. So I had two copies. of it. like, you know what, I'll give one copy to Jamie and yeah. you... To be fair, you've actually read it. I never. Read I didn't it. read all of it. I did read some of it. I mean, uh, to be fair, I did read like half or three quarters of James Dillon's one. Yeah. So I have read yeah. something. She, um, yeah, her autobiography really is an, a fascinating read. What I read of it. Um, anyway, yeah. Um, actress. Yeah, it insisted that the kiss, that the kiss was in fact real. Nurse about audience reaction. The network insisted that the all all that alternate takes be shot with, and without a kiss. But Nichols and Shatner deliberately flubbed, flubbed every one of the latter well, sections. apparently, from interviews I've seen with him... NBC would be forced to air what appeared to be a kiss with their lips, lips actually or not. He his eyes in all the ones without, so that the one with the kiss had to go on, because it's the only good shot mm. they ever had. Um, the Star Trek, what, uh, Star Trek moments drew some negative reactions, though Nichols recalled that fan mail was overwhelming, overwhelmingly positive and supportive. Uh, I think the rest of this is pretty much um, it's pretty much what we've kind of read already so I don't think there's stuff in the theatre ah yeah she began her show business career at age 16 with Duke Ellington in a ballet she created for one of his compositions later she sang with his band Uh, she studied in Chicago New York and Los Angeles her breakthrough came with her appearance in Oscar Brown's high-profile but ill-fated 1961 musical Kicks and Co. Uh, the play closed 
after its brief Chicago tryout, when Nichols attracted the attention of Playboy publisher Hugh Hefner, who booked his Chicago Playboy Club. Nichols also appeared in the role of Carmen for a Chicago Stock Company production of Carmen Jones, and later she also will display her singing talents on Star Trek. Um, while working in Chicago, Nichols was twice nominated for that city's theatrical Sarah Siddons Award for Best Actress. The first came for Kits and Co, while the second was for her performance in Jean Janet's The Blacks. Um, okay, I didn't realise this bit. Uh, in January 1967, Nichols was featured on the cover of Ebony magazine, which featured two feature articles on her within five years. Um, when Modern Bruce Health was failing decades later, Nichols wrote, co-wrote a song for him entitled Jean that she sang at his funeral, which I think is very touching. Um, yeah, so there's a little bit more there. But, um, yeah, um, I think that's it, really. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just. But as Simon said, yeah, it was it was tough this year, and I know I kind of said it was tough picking the names because there's so many others, and I wish I could have included some other names as well. And it was it was hard. It was hard. It was it was difficult this year. I must admit. But uh, Simon, thank thank you, helped me out a lot with it. So particularly suggesting Dorothy Duda, which I think was a. As I say, I did, I did the research this year. You did, you did. Jane was overwhelmed by the stuff, so yeah. I, was like, I sent him my research, Thank and he you. kind of went, "Okay, yeah, whatever." Yeah. Like, because it, it was, it was more here. This is what I've got. Send me whatever you want me to look over, and I kind of never got anything. So it was a bit like I would have got around to it. I would have got around to it. You would have done, but I think it was a certain degree of, "Oh yeah, Simon's got this covered. I will go with that." Because I think. <laughs> He said it to me anyway, so I was like, well... I think there's a certain degree of you would have probably gone with, like, memory from Wikipedia about that. And then Maybe. I would have then suggested this yeah. stuff to you and you were going, here, right then. So I think I, I covered what you would have said to me. Mm. I think, if I know yeah. you went enough. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... It's... We can never manage to cover everything anyone's no. ever done because when you look at David Warner and you look at kind of Dean Stockwell how much they've done and achieved mm. and then you look at the credits on like Wikipedia for David Warner it goes on like I print it all out and you did those the, the extra how much credits that's another dozen four, pages yeah maybe? yeah I, did, I didn't print that out myself uh, but I know you. I know you would have done anyway. But yeah, just uh, yeah, it's just interesting year, and it's sad that it said so. Particularly, well, no ones have passed away. Yeah, and I think that's a um, subsequent consequence of COVID. Yeah, catching up for lost time for the last couple of years. So it's yeah, tough year, and we'll have to see what next year's like. But we have no idea. But yeah, we, we yeah, we hope you guys found this interesting informative and yeah feel free to check out names yourself as I said you've got memory alpha wikipedia there's other sites like variety.com and bfi and yeah rsc yeah so um but yeah just incredible actors and actresses and and production um just have, they've done amazing work whether on star trek or otherwise i don't know what's gonna happen next year i don't know i, I don't go in that's one of those things i don't go in there with some kind of Right. names or things so but yeah we but it's yeah it's another year and next year we'll have more more names and uh, but again i said this will be that'll be up to simon so um uh, 
I think everyone's aware of three ones we've spoken to, but I think, yeah, go and check out Dorothy Duda. She mm. deserves some of your attention. Yeah, I said I wish there was more about her because I feel like there's more there that can go be and said. Check out that cookbook. I will go. Go and make her. Go and make some of the food. I think that's only mm. one of the best ways of going on to her and because they all look amazing. I'm not sure. I'd... I have mentioned the pizza on there, but I, they didn't actually have a recipe. But as I said, you interest, know. But do they? I think they have like. They might even have a catfish recipe on there and things. Yeah. I said, if I had my own... I said, if I was in an era of Star Trek where I wanted to kind of be... In a way, it would probably... Like, having certain features, it would probably be like... So for Enterprise, for things like food, I would actually would love that. Proper cooked food. But, yeah, yeah it's... Mm. It's hard. Yeah. So it's... It's a hard episode. It's always a... It is, and we've done this. I mean, we've been doing this now for, what, almost nine years. Next year, every nine years, and... Every year it's difficult. It is difficult. It's, it's, we've, I know we've done it so often, we, you know, we're used to doing this episode, but it's still hard to do. It's still, and it's, it's hard to pick names because obviously there's so many out there that deserve to, that recognition, that deserve to be uh, hot, um, remembered and highlighted. But obviously. And that's the thing, that's what I, you, and to be fair, this year you've picked from the past couple of years, you haven't actually taken from. Yeah, like the archives really. This necessarily this year, no. you've really just focused on twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two. Yeah, but yeah, as I say, you've had a really unusual year because it's. I've never had a year where it's like filled filled up by November. Mm. That's a scary year and big names where you're going. This person's passed away, and you're going. I'm sat there going. Who is Jamie actually going to choose? Because normally you can kind of work out the big household name that you kind mm. of put up there. Mm. But this year it was a bit like, like we've got what you could argue three. Yeah. yeah. But again, we've got we we haven't put up Louise Fletcher. That could have been. Yeah, there. I do consider that it. Very... I did. Yeah, but as Simon said, we needed. I thought. It wouldn't be fair to have all well-known names. I wanted at least one production, someone who was not as well-known. So I wanted, and that's why that's why the order I did it. I put Dorothy Duda kind of a second. I thought it'd be nice, kind of buffering between the names. But yeah, yeah. I said we hope you guys. I said it's never going to be like an enjoyable, entertaining episode to listen to. But we hope you found it like interesting and informative. So yeah, um, and then obviously, you know, yeah. So that'd be that's us have some friends for another year. Next up, we've got Clive's one, Jamie. Yes. In case because I know you're, you weren't saying what because you weren't sure what. <laughs> yeah. What it was. Yeah. Uh, so we've got obviously awards. Tusker Awards. Mm. So I hope you guys tune in to listen to that because I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, we'll. Is it for you then? Yeah. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye.